0: Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you here, Chris. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you very much, Philip
2: and Jason. Yeah. Nice to be with you.
0: Absolutely. Great.
2: Man. Great to have you, brother.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, before we got started, uh, we got a chance to get to know each other, and I have a feeling there's going to be a really interesting conversation from this just based off the energy you give off. It's really sincere and direct. And for me, I'd love to connect that to sort of some origin stories about you. What we ask here on the show is, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs or, or maybe creative people?
1: I do actually. Yeah. My father uh, was a West Point grad like me, but he got out of the army uh, after his initial commitment and worked for a Fortune 500 company. But it wasn't long before he took those skills and ideas and created his own business and made quite a bit of money. And he's, he, he's kind of been a serial entrepreneur, so it's been fun to watch.
0: I see. How did that sort of inform... You because I now I connect the dots. Is is he part of the reason you stepped into the into the military yourself? And and how did that sort of inform you? Having that example, did it also inspire you and say, hey, I can I can do this too?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, I think as most of your audience would know, if you have a family member who's a successful entrepreneur, it's infectious. I mean, you can see not only that it actually works, but you know, they enjoy it. There's energy there, there's constant challenges. So so yeah, I think that role modeling is a really important
0: part of it. Yeah, there we go. Okay, modeling. I like that you brought that up. It's it's something that I think I first came across it with uh Tony Robbins when I like was like 14, 15 reading his books. Totally shouldn't have had access to that. But yeah. it was talking about like finding a model, some some sort of end target goal, and then finding ways to close the gap between where you are and that model is. Is that sort of how you use that or? Where did you really start to get serious about business and what that means? Because you had a whole career, a lot like Jason, where there's this whole life that you were something else and then you stepped into business, or was it always both at the same time?
1: Yeah, it was, well, no, it was mostly focused on one thing at a time because, you know, you you just can't serve two masters well. I think sometimes that's a really important and underappreciated rule. So, uh, you know, during my time in the military though, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit, I, uh you know, I always had sort of an entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, even the things I approached from in the army, I approached from an entrepreneurial mindset, which, you know, to your listeners, probably actually means something. You just look at problem sets differently. You look at how to innovate within a defined space. And so I did that in the military. So by the time I got out, um, you know, that those some of those skills were fully mature. And it's just the way I look at the world, like like again like you do like uh like your your listeners.
0: Yeah, okay. And now w- what I love about where this is going to go is uh I got a chance to look at the notes here and you publish historical summaries, right? Now, how far back does your interest and curiosity in history go because I have found that some of the most successful people in business know the history of their own industry specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's unusual, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, I was never a real history buff in school. I didn't major or minor in history at West Point or, you know, I've got a couple of master's degrees, none, nothing related to history at all. But but the funny thing is, as I get older, you know, with every passing year, it's like history informs so much of the world and in my profession, the military profession, it has been an essential ingredient actually of any great, you know, captain of the military throughout history. They've always had a firm grasp of, of history because, you know, the famous expression, history doesn't repeat itself, but it really rhymes. And man, does it rhyme? Like, you know, what Vladimir Putin doing doing Ukraine right now. I mean, it rhymes big time with uh, conflicts throughout the ages. So, so from the military side, History is getting more and more fascinating with me even now that I'm retired from the military, because it's so important. And so so yes, I, Philip, like my goal was to create a publication that I wish I would have had as a young officer um, to help me learn history faster, more comprehensively with less time. You know, everybody's pressed for time. And so what I've done is I've created sort of a reader's digest concept. But, but very, I mean, what goes in on my end is amazing. It takes me three months to do a battle because I'm condensing all those 300-page books that, you know, the younger generation isn't that thrilled with anymore because time's so important. And I'm condensing them all to a 3,000-word, essentially beautifully produced trifle brochure with maps and images. And you know exactly what happened at these key battles. And, and I say this... Because the military is what drove me to this, because it was the one piece I wish I had, so I decided to create it. But what I'm finding is the, the civilian sector is really interested in this stuff. Because first of all, they know you know they're Americans; they should know some of this stuff. You know, if you're an American, it's part of our common cultural history. We should all know what happened at Lexington-Concord and Bunker Hill and Midway and D-Day, and you know, those are just part of our history. And uh, in the age of division right now, these things unite us more than anything. So, so that's got that extra benefit. Um, but also, and maybe more interesting for your listeners, I, I've always been fascinated by the the back and forth pollination, cross pollination between military and industry, military and business. Because if you've actually looked at history, they've kind of gone back and forth, copying each other in different aspects of their domain. From how C suites are organized with a staff, you know, a staff kind of function, to the strategies and the tactics. I mean, how often do you hear about business in terms of a military campaign and stuff like that? So, so these lessons. And by the way, I put a lot of lessons in my my writing as it's condensed because I think that's the whole point. These lessons are not just military lessons; they're lessons in leadership and strategy. Um, principles of war that I think actually translate to business pretty well. So, so it's fun. It's interesting. And yes, it's what I do.
0: I hey, mean, that is the spirit of this show. Business is war that Jason has said that a million times. uh with that said, I'd love to hear Jason's reflections so far on some of the things that you've been talking about and as a fellow military personnel who's gone on to also do business, I think it's I think it's important to hear his thoughts and just sort of a sounding board feedback loop before we go further on the show.
2: yeah, what I love about you know. Like my time in the military um was I grew up in the entrepreneurial experience as a kid, all that stuff and and long line of military service, so on and so forth. but the parallels like chris was talking about between the military and business and how they flip flop right so you look at look at McDonald's McDonald's totally took the whole military structure from you know, team leader, shift manager, right? All the way down to team leader, squad leader, platoon sergeant, you know, yada, 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 right? And they took that same mentality and a lot of companies do the same thing, right? So you could even say CEO, division commander, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or go up even higher and say, CEO, chief of staff of the army, right? Mm -hmm. And then start building your way down there. But from every level of the military, you can build that same structure off of uh, any company all the way down to a platoon leader is a CEO, a, a platoon sergeant, right? That's your COO, yada, 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 yada. And you can build that exact same structure all the way down. And it's really a beautiful thing. And I was lucky because I I got myself into a lot of things while I was in the military for all those years. And I got myself into business and I did do the two masters thing. Um, And and it was difficult to do that. It was very difficult to do that. But somehow I kind of figured out how to work through it and, and did it but a lot of the things you're talking about Chris they they so correlate across from each other when it comes to military business athlete business right we've had a lot of nfl players a lot of uh you know professional sports people on the show and it's interesting how all of those parallels kind of line up leading you into business cuz a lot of Of sports athletes end up becoming business owners. They leave their professional sport because they, for whatever reason, and they end up starting businesses. Reggie Walker and David Carter, two great examples. They just said, we're done with the NFL. And they both played for the Cardinals at the same time. And they said, you know what? We're done with the NFL. We're going to, we're, we're done. We're going to go start our own business. And that's what they did. So, but they took all those lessons from, you know, Reggie was a team captain for three different NFL teams. And so he brought all that leadership skill across and, you know, they launched this great company called game within a game. So uh, there's a lot of parallels there. It's great to be able to connect them uh, on a show like this. So people can see how, history has blended all that across both ways for sure so and by the way thank you for being here thank you for your service um it's always great to have fellow uh veterans on the show so thanks for for being here in that capacity too my pleasure my pleasure yeah
0: yeah no I I think uh it's one of those opportunities where you have if I read my notes right over three decades of service right uh, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah, what that what that does to your ability to be a leader and have you be sort of, you can look at both sides of the field, right? Whatever opposing force is coming to you, uh, plus what you have to manage here, and that level of awareness of understanding all the moving pieces, right? So then you take that. And you throw it into a book that starts to explore historically all the things that have happened, being able to be para-aware of every one of those scenarios and condense them, that, that only can come from serious enthusiasm and serious experience combined, right? That's the only way to be able to do that. So I'd, I'd love to know what's your favorite moment in history that you believe everyone should just know? from the, from the work that you've been doing?
1: It's a great question, Philip. I, uh, the funny thing is uh, the, the answer is a little more complicated for me because every time I dive into one of these battles, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, you think, you know, something about the battle, you know, right now I'm working on, uh, uh, uh the, the battle of the bulge and I just started. And, you know, you think, you know, about the battle of the bulge and all of a sudden, you know, you're three, four books deep into it and you're going, holy crap, I did not realize that, you know, that aspect was major strategy issue or a major leadership issue. So, it, you know, the the answer to your question is funny because it's every battle I do becomes my most favorite, most fascinating study because I'm so into it. And And I hope that's not a silly, plain, vanilla answer because it's so fundamentally true for me. I, I'm fascinated by them as I go. Now, maybe a different way to answer your question is, you know, there's different segments of the population, different segments of our our, our society that should know certain battles. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I did actually put the book together, which is the 12 battles, 12 battles every American should know, because I believe that it's such a common cultural history, a heritage for us. We should know these things. And I'm not just talking about military professionals. I think, I mean, my gosh, if you're a high schooler, you should probably know the basics about Bunker Hill, right? I mean, these are seminal moments of American history that turned some tides and created the society we are today. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess you could say my favorite is American history because I do, I do it all. My favorite is American history because I'm an American and I think we should take this stuff a little more seriously. We're losing it in our education system, unfortunately. We're not really teaching a lot of American history, which we all know is kind of like military history because military history dictates history. So, you know, that disappoints me a little bit. So I am I am kind of partial to that to sort of answer your question in a different way. But no, um, I,
0: I love it. I yeah. love that answer specifically because you're right. I can't think of a single time while I was at least in public school, because that's where I went, where it sort of was presented a way for us to understand how this is going to impact our life, right? right. In particular, coming from like a lower economic, socioeconomic background myself, when you don't have great examples at home, right? I didn't grow up with entrepreneurs, right? Anything even remotely close to that Uh quite the opposite and then you go to schools and the teachers are overworked underpaid they don't have the time to sit there and tell you this is how you're going to solve your problems Mm -hmm. right because the teachers themselves haven't been able to solve their problems most of them landed there not wanting to do that Mm -hmm. and if they did at some point they lost the fire inside they let it die right it's very rare and that's why everyone remembers that one teacher that was different or Or staff, faculty member at school that was different because they were really happy to be there. And I can hear that when you share what you're talking about. Had I been told, hey, look, history, world history, US history, what have you, it's going to teach you how to be a leader. It's going to teach you how to solve problems. Had someone just prefaced that, even just with that, before they asked me to open the book, and then actually I would look at those critical thinking questions at the bottom of the textbook a little differently. And yet, That's not the way it's presented. So I'm glad that you took the time to do that because even like you said, business owners, they're constantly facing problems that need a leadership decision, a strategic decision. And why not as someone living in the U S making money in the U S be able to tap into some historical decisions that were made and how they came out on top. It's a clear correlation, a clear resource to be able to have. So for me, I'm in favor of what you're talking about. And I think it's great that you did this. Uh, With that said, if you could leave behind, just like this is your bottom line go-to in general advice, given the the experience that you've had in your life, the work that you do, what would you say needs to be recorded? Like, this is what I want to say now.
1: Well, you know, not directly related to history. I would say because of your demographic of your audience, I would say what I've learned in 31 years in the military As a leader at different levels, up to and including a NATO headquarters in Bosnia, um, is leadership is all about trust. Leadership is about trust. It's that—that's the one word that you can now you could peel that onion back and and then say, okay, if leadership is about trust, how does a leader create trust? And it's kind of simple in my mind. Again, lots of different good examples, bad examples. Lived experiences of leadership and failure and and success. And leaders create trust by doing a few things. Number one, you, you have to know what you're doing. Nobody wants to follow someone that doesn't know what they're doing. So whether you're a military leader, understanding history to bring it back to history, or understanding your tactics and your weapon systems and how you employ that type of unit, whether you're a business leader, understanding that market space, that product category, You know, you've got to understand. You have to have that core competence. So you you establish trust by knowing what the heck you're doing, right? People like to follow people that know what the heck they're doing. People like people. the, The second way you establish trust is by character. I mean, character really underlines the entire thing. If you're dishonest, if you cheat on your taxes, if you cheat, you know, if you cheat at the whatever, leaving a tip at a restaurant, or you know, any of those things, they're like. And I I don't mean cheat by leaving a tip at a restaurant. My point is the smallest things can be little little tells of, you know, this person doesn't really have great character, and people see that immediately. So you gotta you gotta walk the walk. You gotta talk. You gotta walk the talk. Um, That'll undermine leadership before anything else because your people will see it, and they'll talk about it all the time. I don't care if you're a team of five or a team of five thousand. Doesn't matter. Um, So competency, and character are really two of the biggest things. And then maybe the last thing is, is you've got to have this vision, this passion, this infectious drive. And it doesn't have to be cheerleader stuff. It, it's really about, boy, this guy or gal has the, res, you know, the resolute mindset and confidence that they're going to go somewhere. They They have a vision, they have that drive. And again, it can be very it can be very internal. You don't have to be that cheerleader CEO or, or entrepreneur or military leader, but those three things in my mind really create that trust. You want to follow someone who knows what they're doing, they're honest and they care about you, and uh, and they have that drive that 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 will to conquer the objective in a military sense or you know win market share in a civilian sense. Um, so that's kind of my nugget of wisdom from 31 years in the army. How about that?
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I (laughs) I, I think I think that's solid advice for anyone at any level. Uh in particular the thing about character and the little things and how you might feel like, oh my business isn't doing too good. The problem may not even be in your business. It could be so small as something that you're just like your character isn't where it needs to be. And if you can get past that You'll be able to see yourself in a different light, which will have you interact with your team and everyone else in a different light. And you're right. Sometimes there are these things that are operating under our immediate level of awareness that we should take a harder look at as leaders. Uh, So I think it's brilliant. Uh, With that said, I want to take a second uh, before we go on to the next phase of the show to give a shout out to someone that made this episode possible, part of our community of listeners. Uh, And that is uh, sharing the credit. With Will Black, every time someone actually swipes a debit card or credit card for your business, there's a fee that takes place and the banks usually get the benefit of that. Uh, Most people don't know that you can actually dictate where that goes and it doesn't have to go to any bank. You can actually choose that to go to a nonprofit and Will Black with sharing the credit has determined the system that can get that done so if that's something that you're interested in uh you can actually access that uh by going to talk to will black uh go to sharingthecredit.com. let them know the war room sent you and uh, they'll roll out the red carpet for you with that said in the spirit of that chris i'd love to give you the floor and invite people to where they should be going to get in touch with you to connect further based on what we've been talking about today
1: Thanks, Philip. Uh, yes, th- my, my website is battledigest.com. Just one word, battledigest.com. And I think your audience would benefit from these. De- think, think of these as case studies. These are case studies in leadership, strategy, and history. They'll also give you historical context of the challenges, the strategic environment that these leaders faced at the time, which have a lot of parallels to, to uh, business. So, BattleDigest.com, one word, and you'll see things there. And then you'll also see my book. For those of you that actually watch, they're watching rather than just listening. My book is the number 12, 12 battles. Every American should know this should be common cultural required history reading for any American. And I've made it so simple. You just, you you won't uh, regret this book. You can get that on Amazon or get it on my website. So thanks Philip, for the ability to share that.
0: Yeah. Are you kidding me? I, I got to take a look at it, actually. Um, there's very few shows I, I listen to myself uh, because I'm always busy making a show. Uh, and there's one in particular that likes to cover things like that. I'll have to geek out with you uh, post-recording about what that show is. But I could easily see the work you're doing be a podcast, and, and it, it probably deserves a conversation post this. But with that said, before we go on to the grand finale, I want to check in with Jason here.
2: I want to hit on something that uh, you said, Chris, and that's trust, right? So um, I believe it was the Navy SEALs did a study years ago, and it came down to the bottom line of as a team member, they would rather have somebody with uh, that that basically has mediocre skill but very high trust because the guy that has really good skill and low trust, we all know that guy. That's you walk into any, any company and go, Hey, who's the asshole in here? And everybody, that guy right there, (laughs) (laughs) but then they'll do the opposite too. Who's the rock star, Mm -hmm. but they're a mediocre performer. And they're the ones that, always get the job done and they can be trusted and i know you and i have seen that a lot um, in the military for sure i mean i i i retired from bragg worked up at forces command and uh you know lots of da civilians Mm -hmm. like but you could easily spot the ones that you know they weren't like the rock star but boy they would run it down they were so trusted so you know i think a key takeaway from what you said in in a company structure too is trust is more important than somebody that is appears to be the the major performer so um yeah Jason, anyway. maybe let me add this they may
1: not yes. be the rock star
2: but they're the rock there you go
0: Hey, There (laughs) it is. Okay. Uh, With that said, we've reached the end of the show and there's only one thing left to ask. And this is just open-ended fun. Uh, We always are excited about the answers because there's no wrong answer, but Chris if you could have invited anybody today to join our conversation from any point, place, and time in the world. And as a history guy, I can only imagine the answer.
1: <laughs> so who
0: would you have loved to have had here today with us and why them?
1: Well, I, I would like to see some of the great captains of history join us today. I mean, if you could possibly sit down with, uh, you know, Alexander the great and, and Frederick and uh, Napoleon. And I mean, they, I would be fascinated to be at that but be at that table and talk about principles of war and strategy and leadership on the battlefield. So that, that'd probably be my answer. I guess I would also add for maybe a separate session is the great theorists of warfare, you know, Clausewitz and Jomini and, and some of these people, even Liddell Hart, who's more recent in British history. I'd love to get some of, I'd love to pick their brains constantly. So those, those are my two groupings. I know I'm, I'm geeking out on the history side now, <laughs>
0: hey you know when you say when you when you said those names and some of them I didn't recognize uh, the latter ones because they're more modern but wh- when I when I hear that it made me realize you know you don't have to look that far to even like the 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 British East trading uh 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 the, the company and East like company. yeah East India Company thank you for correcting me as a oh. public education what are you gonna do uh, <laughs> uh They had to defend themselves, right? They had to have a plan of attack. Merchants back in the day had to have people with them that were ready to protect them because resources, scarcity, objectives, finance, all that's tied up together, right? And the powers that be, the loyalties between kingdoms. And no, it's all still the same thing today right? We're just looking at alphabet companies and how they may be moving things and how that relates to the government. I mean, it's all real and relevant. And these brilliant minds that were, I mean, imagine having them on your consulting agency team. Mm-hmm. Imagine them hearing Alexander the Great go, I wouldn't make that move. You <laughs> know, <laughs> Like, well, I'd love to hear the answer. <laughs> yep, yep. Right so, on. No, I, I love it, man. Um, it, it is tradition around here for Jason to close us out. So I'll let him do that. But I, man, I had a great conversation with you.
1: Thanks. Me too.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Chris. Um, like I said before, it's always great to have a, a fellow brother on the show. Um, that's important that uh, we're able to do that with as many veterans. I mean, it just—it's the war room, I guess. You know, so we try to have as many veterans on as here as possible, um, as well. But thanks for taking the time to be here, sharing your knowledge. Uh, you know, of all those years of experience and I don't know how you did it. That's more (laughs) than I did. 23 was enough for me. That was enough. But uh, anyway, thank you for your service. Thank you for leading our country and uh, as a Brigadier General. And that is pretty amazing to uh, make it to that pinnacle in a military career and be able to serve so many so well, uh, you know, thank you for doing that, too. Well, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Continue. Good luck to you all.
0: Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Llanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.